Hello and welcome back to Food Toxicology. Well, today's lecture, what we're going to try to do is, is look at foodborne disease, but foodborne disease uh, from seafood and shellfish. In fact, today's lecture, we're going to talk about marine toxins in food, the sources, the pathways, the receptors, and the controls, not only the physiological controls, but some of the regulatory controls in terms of keeping our food system safe. The learning objectives here today, what we're going to do first is we're going to try to understand somewhat the linkage between marine algal toxins, the so-called red tides or hazardous algal blooms, and how they have a relationship to human food poisoning. We'll try as well to look at some other seafood-based uh, food poisonings that deal with toxins that are produced by various marine species. One of these, we're going to look at scomboid fish poisoning. We've reviewed this a little bit in terms of the chemistry of scomboid fish poisoning, and we did a case study on this. We'll try to examine it in terms of its scope within the U.S. food system. We'll also examine a very interesting neurotoxin involved in ciguatera fish poisoning. This is quite interesting, not only from its biochemical uh, mode of action, but also in the range of fish and the presentation of clinical disease. We'll try to then talk about, at length, uh, various shellfish poisonings. Uh, you read about these uh, in the media on uh, a reasonable uh, occasion uh, in terms of numbers of times per year in the media. Uh, this is something that is unfortunately far too common, and again, this is because of the transport of marine toxins in the ocean environment. Well, we'll try to understand paralytic shellfish poisoning, or PSP, neurotoxic shellfish poisoning, and also uh, diuretic shellfish poisoning, and a final category of encephalopathic or amnesiac shellfish poisoning. All of these have a different presentation of disease, and their causation factor is different as well. We'll then transfer back into uh, toxins produced by fish, and we'll examine fugu poisoning, or tetrodotoxin, uh, in the human food supply. We'll finish up exploring some other marine toxins of uh, minor, uh, but uh, no less uh, uh, uncomfortable, if, if you will, uh, outcomes in terms of uh, marine-borne toxins. Well, in terms of uh, where to start, uh, what we have found in our analysis of ecological biochemistry is that uh, species are in a battle, a struggle, if you will, for survival, and marine animals are no different. They will produce uh, secondary metabolites and secondary compounds in a very similar fashion uh, as the plant kingdom, although sometimes these are venoms or they are strategies in terms of uh, uh, prey capture or defense mechanisms, or in some cases they're actually pheromones. They actually have a, a bio-relationship in terms of production of the species. Uh, we, because of our knowledge, uh, accumulated knowledge over the centuries, tend to avoid many of the marine species that have high levels of toxicants. And typically what you find in foodborne, seafoodborne uh, disease is accumulations, not necessarily uh, a dietary uh, uh, use of a toxic species. Uh, starfish, sea cucumbers, uh, various types of uh, mollusks are all uh, uh, can be considered as overtly toxic in terms of the types of toxins they do uh, provide. Now, what we find is that there are poisonings um, 
in terms of epidemiological study, uh, and they're a major public uh, uh, episodes that uh, can be dozens to hundreds of individuals uh, on a case outbreak basis. Uh, these do present some health issues in terms of long-term impacts. Some of these have uh, severe economic impact in terms of uh, the fishing and shellfish industry. If, for example, red tide or uh, a public health episode is noticed, uh, essentially the uh, consuming public uh, stops consuming that particular food product. Uh, there is a severe impact on marine life in terms of uh, fish kills associated with uh, hazardous algal blooms, uh, harmful algal blooms that do occur, these red tides. Uh, about 14% of all foodborne outbreaks are associated with some sort of marine toxin. Now, the major causes of seafood-borne illness include uh, live mollusk and shellfish, and most of these are actually associated with microbiological, uh, either bacterial from Vibrio species or NOAC-like viruses but we do find that these uh, uh, shellfish can accumulate natural marine toxins, and that's what we're going to talk to today. We'll also find, in terms of major causes, uh, scomboid fish poisoning and ciguatera is uh, unfortunately uh, fairly prevalent in terms of the whole of seafood-borne illness. What are the concentrations or the estimated U.S. cases per year? In terms of scomboid fish poisoning and ciguatera, uh, they're significant relative to the overall estimated cases. And this is the differentiation between reported cases where we actually have clinical diagnostic intervention and we actually uh, do uh, a case uh, workup and have a report of that particular disease instance. This estimation comes at people that uh, have some sort of seafood-borne illness but don't go as far as visiting a health institution like a hospital or a physician, and therefore it goes unreported. Uh, what this might be is that they have mild self-resolving symptoms. Uh, it may put them down or give them a tummy ache for a couple of days, uh, uh, but no long-term impacts. But in terms of the estimated cases uh, for scomboid fish poisoning, 8,000 per year, Ciguatera, about 1,800. These are significant levels of human disease. In terms of natural marine toxins that we're going to take a look at again today, scomboid fish poisoning, where we talked about previously the role of histamine in uh, essentially presenting uh, a, a histamine response in an individual and significant level of illness. Ciguatera fish poisoning, a neurotoxin, quite a bit more significant in terms of its potential and potential lethality. Uh, shellfish toxins of the four categories that we are going to describe, uh, some of them being potentially lethal, other being just a uh, nuisance, uh, a couple of days uh, of illness. Tetrodotoxin is another uh, marine toxin that may have in significant concentration a fatal outcome because of its neurotoxicity. We'll also talk about Gemplotoxin, uh, this is uh, a toxin, uh, it's rarely fatal, it's an uncomfortable uh, uh, diuretic, uh, di diarrheic, um, and then we'll finish up with a discussion of fisteria uh, and how this particular uh, marine toxin-induced uh, fish disease may actually have some concern in terms of seafood-borne illness. Now, scomboid fish 
poisoning is named for the family of fish, the tuna and mackerels, uh, which are one of the prime vectors of this particular fish poisoning. If we recall our case study we did in a previous lecture, that involved uh, restaurants serving a tuna salad, uh, and that tuna salad in terms of HACCP tracking was traced back through uh, the distribution and supply system to the Gulf of Mexico from longline fishing. Uh, this particular fish poisoning can actually involve any fish that might contain uh, high levels of free histamine, histidine. And what happens in these particular fish is the histidine is broken down into histamine. On the next slide, you can see the role of the enzymatic conversion uh, for histamine formation. The other class of amines that comes with microbial uh, infectious process or uh, 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 improper handling uh, in terms of uh, temperatures and uh, uh, with involved with seafood are the production of the uh, catabolic metabolic pro products, cadaverine and putrescine. These are uh, the putrefying chemicals. Uh, some people also have allergic reactions to these particular amine compounds. Scomboid fish poisoning, the source again is improperly handled, and that can be time, temperature, or abuse. Uh, uh, fish such as mahi-mahi, tuna, bluefish, sardines, and mackerel. Uh, the range of this particular disease is worldwide. It's onset, it's immediate to about 30 minutes after consumption of the material, uh, depending upon the histamine levels, depending upon the other vasopressive uh, amines that might be associated with the particular fish product. The initial symptoms include tingling or burning sensation in the mouth, uh, can present as a rash on the upper body, an allergic uh, uh, rash, drop in blood pressure, headache, uh, itching of the skin. Later symptoms will include nausea, vomiting, uh, and diarrhea. The duration in terms of the uh, course of this particular disease, about three hours to several days, depending upon the amount ingested and the sensitivity of the individual. In terms of treatment, uh, standard antihistamine therapy is used. The controls uh, in terms of HACCP type controls, proper chilling and temperature control is important. The FDA guideline in terms of histamine concentrations 50 parts per million. In terms of uh, scumboid poisoning outbreaks, the CDC tells us that about 5% of all foodborne outbreaks uh, are reported uh, and 37% of all seafood related borne illnesses are associated with scumboid poisoning. Uh, there's about approximately 200 outbreaks involving nearly 14 hundred people between the years of 1973 to 1987. Um, between 1988 and 1997 there were 145 reported outbreaks and these involved 811 persons in 20 states. Typically the states involved are coastal states with high, higher levels of uh, fresh fish consumption including high Hawaii, Florida, California, the state of Washington, New York and Connecticut, although this can happen almost anywhere with the food distribution system. The next uh, type of uh, marine toxin we're going to talk about is Ciguatera and Ciguatera fish poisoning. This is the most commonly reported marine toxin disease in the world. Uh, it is associated with the consumption of reef 
fish. These reef fish, uh, especially higher on the aquatic food chain, uh, bioaccumulate uh, this particular toxin. This disease affects 50,000 people per year worldwide, uh, giving them this, uh, this debilitating neurologic symptoms, including some profound weakness, temperature sensation, pain, numbness in the extremities. Uh, this can clear up in a couple of days in low dose uh, or in the event of consumption of uh, some organ meats associated with fish, it can lead actually to fatality. There are four toxins associated with Ciguatera. They're complex structures. The source of the toxin is certain species of fish that feed on a algae species. Uh, Gamber discus uh, is uh, the main vector uh, in terms of these uh, dinoflagellates. The range is in tropical and subtropical waters worldwide, but again, because of the distribution system of many fish species, there is the potential for impact uh, no matter where you live. In the U.S., the East Coast, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, and the Virgin Islands in terms of the amount of fresh fish that is consumed. Uh, Ciguatera toxin is heat stable, and so cooking does not remove it. The dinoflagellate Gamberdiscus toxicus is again one of the major vectors. Uh, this uh, image on this particular slide shows you the 20 micron uh, uh, size uh, domain of uh, this particular dinoflagellate. The two most common toxins associated uh, with Ciguatera are Ciguatoxin and Mitotoxin. Um, these uh, are some of the most lethal substances known. They have a uh, uh, an LD50 uh, in mice, and this is interperitoneal, in other words, injected into the abdomen, interperitoneal LD50 of 0.45 micrograms per kilogram. So this is a, a very toxic substance. This particular toxin uh, is lipid-soluble. What it does, it's a neurotoxin. It opens up the voltage-dependent sodium channels. Uh, in cell membranes, and it uh, then induces membrane depolarization. And again, the most toxic parts of the fish, typically the liver, uh, kidneys, and the gonads, uh, can be lethal if eaten. Uh, this again is heat stable. This gives you an idea of what uh, this uh, polyether macrolid looks like in terms of ciguatoxin. It's a fairly complex uh, molecule. Uh, the dinoflagellate uh, Gambiridiscus toxicus uh, is uh, shown on this slide as well. In terms of uh, how this poisoning happens, the ciguatoxin actually magnifies up the food chain. And so here's an example of a chemical compound. And this is primarily because it is lipophilic. Um, it magnifies up the food chain uh, in terms of some of the species that feed on directly on the algae that then become prey for the larger carnivores. In terms of the concentrations that present to humans, the larger carnivorous fish are typically the, considered to be the primary vectors. Uh, on this slide, we show you uh, a, a ciguatera fish poisoning warning poster uh, in terms of the types of species, the range of species that uh, ciguatera is most associated with. In terms of its presentation, its onset is less than six hours. The symptoms, GI symptoms, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Neurological is numbness and tingling around the mouth. Uh, there can be some joint pain and aches, headaches, uh, loss of temperature control. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, hot things seem cold, cold things seem hot. 
uh, in terms of cardiovascular impacts, arrhythmia, bradycardia, rapid heartbeat, tachycardia, uh, reduced blood pressure, all significant in terms of the health of the individual. The duration of ciguatera fish poisoning uh, is self-limiting within a couple of days. Uh, rarely some neurological symptoms may persist for months or years in impacted individuals. Uh, this is uh, certainly dose-dependent. Uh, the treatment is typically symptomatic in terms of uh, uh, trying to treat the symptoms, make sure that, for instance, respiratory function is maintained. The control in terms of how we uh, examine fish uh, that will be in trade is uh, using a mouse bioassay. This is a very quick uh, uh, dose response in terms of uh, ciguatera fish poisoning. Uh, there are test kits available using enzyme immunoassay that take about 10 minutes. So people that are in food production uh, for these types of fish uh, can do fairly rapid and I would say fairly inexpensive. These are only about $5 per test. Uh, one of the uh, ways to avoid ciguatera fish poisoning is to obtain fish uh, far from safe, uh, uh, far from impacted areas. Uh, some of the commonly implicated species uh, include those uh, higher trophic level fish uh, like groupers, uh, barracudas, snappers, mackerel, triggerfish, uh, the ones that are uh, predatory, and in some cases, game fish in terms of anglers that go out uh, on fishing boats. The FDA guideline in terms of ciguatera is uh, there is none. Uh, it's an opportunistic sort of marine toxin uh, that uh, is found in these types of species. In terms of the numbers of reported outbreaks, 1981, Puerto Rico, 49 cases and two deaths, including the fish, barracuda, amberjack, and blackjack. Uh, 1987, the Caribbean, 57 cases uh, associated with fish casserole. In 1988, there were greater than 100 uh, cases associated primarily with hogfish. 1992, in California, 25 cases. Um, in 94, several cases, and in 95, there was uh, a seaweed-associated uh, ciguatera outbreak. The next uh, segment, we're going to talk about uh, a fairly large uh, impact in terms of seafood safety, and this is shellfish toxicity. There are four categories of shellfish toxicity, paralytic, neurologic, diarrheal, and amnestic uh, shellfish poisonings. Um, the toxins in terms of shellfish toxicity are found in these microscopic diatoms and dinoflagellates. And what happens is the concentrations uh, increase in filter feeding bivalves, uh, such as clams or mollusks. Uh, there is limited correlation in terms of harmful algal blooms or red tides. Uh, the preferred uh, uh, terminology is HAB, or harmful algal blooms, uh, although in the media you'll hear more often it referred to as a red tide. Uh, one of the reasons uh, that's uh, sometimes incorrect is because sometimes uh, these blooms are not red at all. Uh, the harmful algal blooms are actually do contain uh, the toxins, it's just that the bloom itself and the report of outbreaks don't necessarily correlate. And so there's other biodynamics involved in human exposure. In terms of uh, harmful algal blooms, uh, most of these are due to dinoflagellates, and these are unicellular microscopic phytoplankton. Uh, they have plant and animal properties. Uh, they're motile. Um, they have chloroplasts. Uh, 
we find that they have a fairly high toxin layer uh, level, and this uh, is due to uh, their own ecological biochemistry in terms of their survival and feeding on prey. Uh, plankton feeders, shellfish, uh, what they do is they uh, are filter feeders, uh, so they filter it from the water and what happens is it accumulates up the food chain. What triggers uh, red tides or uh, harmful algal blooms? These are multifactorial. Uh, scientists have linked it to nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus in the environment, various types of metals, uh, vitamins that occur in water. Uh, water temperature, water pH, uh, various uh, conditions uh, such as calm conditions that uh, allow for these large colonies uh, to accumulate in the water surface. Uh, it can happen uh, in uh, pristine waters and not necessarily impacted waters in terms of, uh, for example, discharge of sewerage or industrial uh, municipal wastewater. Where do red tides occur? Uh, these harmful algal blooms have a worldwide distribution. Uh, the type of dinoflagellate varies with geographical area. You can see uh, its uh, particular impact here in terms of uh, seashore in this particular image. Uh, there is uh, um, a seasonal uh, correlation in terms of warmer conditions, May to October in the west and July to September in the east. Uh, there's all sorts of wives' tales about not eating shellfish in, for example, months that begin with R. Uh, these have been uh, disproven in terms of their, their reality, in terms of uh, seafood safety. In terms of the major U.S. hazardous uh, harmful algal bloom-related events, you can read through this slide in terms of the range of all the different shellfish poisoning, ciguatera, fisteria, brown tide. Um, and all sorts of, uh, uh, as well, marine animal kills associated with harmful algal blooms. You can see that there is a little bit of diversity in terms of West Coast presentation and East Coast uh, in terms of uh, the Atlantic versus the Pacific. Uh, but one thing can be said, where there's people and where there's uh, a coast, uh, there are harmful, harmful algal bloom-related uh, uh, poisoning events. In terms of the vector for this particular marine toxin, shellfish, again, are the vector. They're filter feeders, so we find it in clams, oysters, various mollusks, and scallops. Uh, this compromises about 7% of all marine intoxications. The toxins are heat-stable, so eating raw versus cooked uh, is not, uh, does not modify uh, your exposure potential, whereas uh, in bacterial uh, disease uh, it would. Uh, it has little effect uh, on the host itself in terms of the health of, of uh, the filter feeders. The mortality rates vary depending upon uh, the type of case, the amount of ingestion, and the sensitivity of the individual uh, exposed. Uh, it can range from 8% to 23% across all shellfish toxicity. About 6% require some hospitalization. Uh, perhaps uh, ventilation and life support as well, and some of the neurotoxic uh, marine toxins. There are four major syndromes, uh, PSP or paralytic shellfish poisoning. Uh, there's neurotoxic shellfish poisoning, uh, diarrheatic um, shellfish poisoning, encephalopathic or amnesic uh, shellfish poisoning is the final. And not only does it impact uh, humans in terms of exposure in the human food chain, 
these uh, poisoning outbreaks occur in fish, birds, and mammals associated with marine environments. PSP is the most common, uh, it's uh, the most severe in its presentation and has the most fatalities associated with it. CDC suggests about 10 per year uh, in terms of U.S. Uh, citizens dying of uh, paralytic shellfish poisoning. Its source is in the dinoflagellates uh, Alexandrium, uh, which is not readily visible, so this is where the harmful algal bloom uh, rather than red tide actually makes uh, more sense in terms of the designation of a vector pathway. The uh, actual toxin is saxitoxin. It's a sodium channel blocker. It also is heat stable. The next slide gives you an idea of what the structure of the uh, satotoxin toxins look like. There's about 12 to 20 analogs and they differ in terms of various groups on the molecule all having the same basic structure. In terms of the source of paralytic shellfish poisoning, it comes from these uh, contaminated shellfish feeding on the various algae of the uh, Alexandrium, uh, Pyrodinium, and Gymnodinium species. Uh, the range is tropical to temperate waters uh, worldwide. Uh, this uh, colored graphic of Florida shows you some harmful algal blooms uh, associated uh, with the state of Florida. In terms of its onset, PSP uh, presents in about a half an hour to a couple hours. Its symptoms include tingling, burning, uh, numbness, uh, drowsiness, incoherent speech, sometimes respiratory paralysis in uh, large-scale presentation. The duration uh, is, uh, will uh, require uh, respiratory support. Uh, if, it, uh, if the uh, patient is uh, treated with respiratory res uh, support, usually we have a full recovery uh, in a few days to a few weeks. With high-dose uh, PSP, uh, the presentation is difficulty swallowing, difficulty breathing, uh, respiratory paralysis, and without medical intervention, death uh, early as 3 to 12 hour, hours following uh, this particular um, uh, 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 ingestion. Uh, the case fatality rate in this case is about 5%. Now, in terms of the controls that we have on PSP, we have the mouse bioassay, a direct injection, uh, see if the mouse dies uh, bioassay. Uh, it's a, there's also a 10-minute uh, enzyme uh, assay and HPLC laboratory tests associated with follow-up analysis. And typically, this is epidemiological or follow-up uh, monitoring after an outbreak of PSP. Um, one of the controls is to monitor um, various uh, coastal waters and shellfish for PSP toxins. Uh, and another is the control of just obtaining these uh, particular uh, food substances uh, from uh, approved waters. The FDA guideline in terms of saxitoxin is about 0.8 part per million uh, saxitoxin equivalents, which translates to about 80 micrograms per 100 grams in all fish uh, materials. In terms of the outbreaks of PSP, 1975 to 1989, we saw 42 outbreaks in Alaska. Uh, we saw in 1980, 98 cases in California and two deaths from oysters. Uh, in Massachusetts, uh, six cases associated with muscles, muscle consumption. 
uh, in Alaska in 1990, uh, 11 cases. This gives you an idea of the year-to-year -year variability of the outbreaks associated with paralytic shellfish poisoning. The next category is neurotoxic shellfish poisoning. Uh, this is similar to PSP, although milder. It's associated with a dinoflagellate, uh, Carinia brevis. Uh, the toxin in neurotoxic shellfish poisoning is brevitoxin. This also is a sodium channel blocker. Uh, it's not as potent as in the case of PSP, saxitoxin. Brevitoxin is also a polyether macrolid. Um, this gives you an idea of what the polyether brevitoxins uh, look like. Uh, there's about six different derivatives. Uh, there is a variability in terms of the toxicity of each of those derivatives. The source of the neurotoxin in uh, neurotoxic shellfish poisoning is uh, is shellfish feeding on uh, algae such, such as Gymnodinium brevi. Uh, the range is uh, Gulf of Mexico and the southern Atlantic coast in the U.S., New Zealand. Uh, the toxins also are heat stable, so here's a, an instance as well where cooking is not going to detoxify uh, the food material. Its onset is a few minutes to a few hours. The symptoms also include uh, tingling and numbness of the lips and tongue, uh, some muscular aches, dizziness, again, the cold, hot reversal associated with some of these neurotoxic effects similar to ciguatera poisoning, uh, same mode of action, uh, the diarrhea and vomiting as well. The duration is a few hours to several days, and it's rare to have a fatality from this particular uh, toxin. The controls uh, associated with a safe food supply include mice, mice bioassays, uh, HPLC analyses, uh, commercial immunoassay test kits, uh, and as well just obtaining these shellfish from approved waters. The FDA guideline for uh, brevitoxin uh, equivalence is 0.8 parts per million uh, or 20 mouse units uh, per 100 grams, clams, mussels, and oysters. In terms of uh, neurotoxic shellfish poison, the outbreaks uh, are sporadic and they occur in the U.S. Uh, along the Gulf Coast of Florida, North Carolina, and Texas. Uh, I put a picture here of Manatee in 1996. There was a substantial outbreak of brevitoxin uh, lethality in manatees. Uh, 150 of this particular endangered species uh, was killed by brevitoxin. The next category of shellfish poisoning is diuretic. Um, shellfish poisoning happens uh, more often in Europe and Japan. It's associated with the dinoflagellates uh, dinophysis and prorocentrum. Uh, the toxin uh, in terms of uh, diuretic uh, uh, shellfish poisoning is ocadiac acid derivatives. It occurs within minutes to hours of exposure. Exposure in terms of the clinical profile, 92% uh, of the people experience diarrhea, 80% uh, nausea, vomiting, and 79% of the clinical presentations. The recovery is about three days, uh, and the uh, treatment is to treat symptomatically and supportively. This uh, molecular uh, gives you again the idea of the uh, polyethers of ocadiac acid, uh, again a large molecule. 
terms of its source, it comes uh, from uh, shellfish feeding on algae. Uh, the range is Japan and Southeast Asia, Scandinavia, Western Europe, Chile, New Zealand, and Eastern Canada. And again, we have heat-stable toxins, meaning that cooking is not going to diminish uh, the uh, level of potential toxicity. The onset in terms of diuretic shellfish poisoning is 30 minutes to three hours. Uh, the symptoms include uh, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, chills, headache, and fever. The duration of this particular poisoning is two to three days uh, with or without treatment. In terms of our uh, food safety controls, mass bioassays, in terms of uh, monitoring, there is an HPLC analysis, and then again, uh, uh, doing uh, shellfish uh, from approved waters uh, not associated with these particular algal blooms. The FDA guideline in terms of uh, okadiac acid is 0.2 parts per million uh, in all fish and that's okadiac acid plus 35 methyl okadiac acid. The uh, next category is amnesic shellfish poisoning. Uh, this is due to the diatom pseudonychia species in mussels. Uh, the toxin that uh, this presents is domoic acid. Domoic acid is a neurotoxin that acts on uh, our amino acid receptors and on synaptic uh, transmission. Uh, it's interesting in terms of it's uh, different in its presentation of mode of action than the other shellfish toxins we've spoken of. This is its uh, particular uh, chemical structure of domoic acid. There's eight isomers that have been identified associated with amnesic shellfish poisoning. The source is mussels, primarily feeding on algae, uh, and we find it in the uh, viscera of Dungeness crab and anchovies as well. Uh, the range is the northeast and the northwest of North America. The onset is GI symptoms uh, after about 24 hours and neurological symptoms after about 48 hours. The symptoms include uh, GI vomiting, diarrhea, um, and uh, neurological conditions of confusion, memory loss, uh, uh, disorientations, seizure, and possibly coma. The duration is uh, self-limiting uh, within a few days. There's short-term memory loss that uh, can be permanent uh, with amnesiac shellfish poisoning, and therefore you get the name of this particular poisoning syndrome. Uh, the controls associated with preventing this uh, food poisoning uh, have to do with analysis of muscles, HPLC laboratory procedures, and obtaining shellfish from approved waters. There is a monitoring of coastal water and shellfish associated with uh, NOAA and FDA. The FDA guideline is for 20 parts per million domoic acid in all fish and 30 parts per million domoic acid in the viscera of Dungeness crab. We've had a couple of outbreaks. Uh, the primary one in terms of the history of this particular food poisoning was in 1987 at Prince Edward Island in Canada. This was actually the first observation of uh, amnesic shellfish poisoning. There were 156 cases in this outbreak. There were three deaths uh, and then 12 individuals with permanent short-term memory loss. And again, therefore, you get the name of the syndrome. 
1981, in Washington State, there was an outbreak of 24 cases associated with razor clam consumption. The next uh, uh, group will uh, start transitioning back to uh, fish-borne toxins. Uh, we'll talk uh, briefly here about fugu or puffer fish poisoning. Uh, this is uh, uh, interesting to many students in terms of its clinical presentation and its vectors, uh, and as well from a, a, a natural marine toxins point of view, uh, the uh, ability of animals to synthesize, biosynthesize uh, very interesting compounds, which in some cases have uh, some applications in human medicine. Uh, fugu uh, poisoning or pufferfish poisoning is associated with uh, several species of porcupine fish, uh, ocean sunfish, and pufferfish. Uh, these fish are named uh, this because of their ability to uh, blow themselves up uh, with water uh, to make themselves look bigger in an aggressive stance uh, as a, uh, with a predator. Uh, it's a uh, food that uh, is prepared, uh, fugu uh, is a Japanese uh, dish it's prepared uh, uh, by uh, licensed uh, chefs. Uh, its incidence in terms of poisoning is down because of the regulation of this particular uh, poisoning. Uh, they have uh, specific training that the cooks that process fugu uh, go through. Uh, and also there's been a dietary transition more to chicken than fish in the Japanese diet. Uh, there is uh, the desirable or the risk associated with eating a toxic meal. Uh, there is a, a sense of exhilaration and a euphoria, as well as the paresthesia or the tingling uh, in your mouth and lips as you're eating this particular meal. So this is kind of a, an extreme food behavior, if you will. Uh, typically, it's a fairly expensive meal when it's done by trained and licensed chefs. The active ingredient in terms of uh, fugu poisoning is tetrodotoxin. This is a polycyclic molecule. This gives you the, the molecular structure of tetrodotoxin on this slide. The tetrodotoxin in terms of uh, the fish is found highest in the organs and in the gonads. Uh, it's a potent sodium channel blocker. Uh, clinical signs present within 15 minutes the numbness, nausea, and respiratory paralysis that is associated with tetrodotoxin. Uh, in terms of the uh, uh, literature uh, the, uh, and media representations, tetrodotoxin has been associated with voodoo cults and rituals in terms of uh, uh, making someone, quote-unquote, into a zombie because uh, of the amount of paralysis uh, this particular toxin gives you. And so there's a lot of mythology and lore about its use of these uh, dried fish products uh, in various voodoo rituals. Uh, the source of the toxin, again, the gonads, the liver, intestines, and skin of about 80 species of puffer fish, blowfish, or fugu. It's also found in other uh, aquatic species, including the California newt, uh, the parrotfish, various frogs, uh, the blue-ringed octopus in Australia, a very pretty but toxic octopus, various starfish, starfish uh, octopi, and various uh, uh, crabs also have uh, been known for tetrodotoxin. The range, uh, and this is an image of a pufferfish from Florida, 
the, the range is primarily the Indo-Pacific Ocean. Other cases and deaths have occurred in the Atlantic Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico, and the Gulf of California in terms of U.S. disease. The tetrodotoxin onset is about 20 minutes to 3 hours. The initial symptoms include numbness of lips and tongue. The secondary symptoms include the prickling of the face and the extremities. Uh, it's a neurotoxin, a sense of lightness and floating, uh, some headache, uh, some epigastric pain, nausea, diarrhea, and or vomiting. Uh, in terms of tertiary symptoms, there can be increasing uh, body paralysis and death within four to six hours without medical intervention. The control uh, in terms of tetrodotoxin levels in uh, seafood, uh, mouse bioassay for uh, analysis, HPLC in terms of laboratory analysis, and also just an advisory not to eat puffer fish and to avoid improperly prepared puffer fish if in fact uh, you're in Japan and decide to go to one of these licensed facilities to experience extreme food. Uh, FDA guideline is that puffer fish may not be imported uh, except under specific authorization from FDA. In terms of the tetrodotoxin outbreaks in 1974 to 1983 in Japan, there were 646 cases and 179 deaths associated with fugu consumption. Uh, typically, there's about 30 to 100 persons per year uh, in Japan that come down with tetrodotoxicosis, uh, typically from home consumption, home preparation. The mortality rate is about 50%. In 1996, in California, there were three cases, for example, no deaths in any of these particular cases. The next uh, slide, what we'll do is review a case study. This is from Mortality Morbidity Weekly Report. This is from pufferfish consumption in the year 2002. Uh, in March of that year, a woman age 65 uh, uh, years old was brought to the hospital by her husband. Uh, a few hours earlier, uh, they had dined on a meal of pufferfish caught by a relative uh, from Florida. Uh, several minutes after eating the fish, uh, both uh, experienced tingling around the lips. Over the next two hours, the woman's symptoms uh, worsened and she started vomiting. Uh, she developed increasing chest pain, had mild tachycardia, rapid heartbeat, and a blood pressure of 170, 160 over 70. Uh, she was treated with topical nitroglycerin. Uh, during the next four to six hours, she developed an ascending mu muscular paralysis, so it started uh, lower and uh, started rapidly going up. A test of her respiratory function and carbon dioxide retention uh, demonstrated that she had the uh, vitals capacity of about 20% of normal. Uh, she was intubated and placed on a ventilator in terms of respiration support. Uh, she regained her, uh, uh, her uh, reflexes and voluntary movement uh, a day later and was extubated uh, approximately 72 hours after presentation and discharged. The next uh, toxin that we'll talk about is gemplotoxin. Uh, this is uh, an interesting uh, marine toxin uh, in that it is typically mostly associated with extreme discomfort. Uh, uh, it's generally uh, diarrhea uh, without pain or, uh, or cramping. 
Uh, it presents in one half to 36 hours after a meal is taken. Uh, the diarrhea associated with this particular type of toxin and this consumption of this, uh, the fish that uh, uh, have this uh, particular oil um, is uh, particularly nasty. Uh, the controls to avoid the specific uh, fish species associated with this uh, toxin. Uh, the outbreaks in California, for instance, in March 2000, there were eight cases. Another uh, um, associated disease with uh, marine toxins is uh, Fisteria complex organisms. This is interesting in that it was uh, discovered uh, relatively recently in 1988. It's also interesting because of the scientific debates associated with the actual vector of, uh, of Fisteria in terms of its relationship to all the different life stages it has and its actual mechanism of, uh, of intoxication or prey uh, in, in terms of higher species. Um, typically, it eats other organisms, usually algae. It is a phytoplankton. The Fisteria may produce toxin, toxins at numb fish, uh, allowing microbes to feed on the fish. But in 2002, some, some uh, research challenged uh, that hypothesis uh, and suggested, in fact, it was micropredation, uh, although, um, and that uh, the genetic makeup of this simple creature does not have the sufficient uh, complexity to produce toxins. Uh, what we find is that high concentrations of Fisteria uh, out, outbreaks can develop uh, lesions on fish and may kill them. These blooms usually exist uh, only for a few hours. Uh, there have been associated several uh, fish kills uh, in estuaries along coastal Northern California, uh, Northern Cal Carolina, uh, and around Chesapeake Bay. And there's been some indication that the amount of nutrients from upstream animal operations is associated with these particular blooms. This graphic uh, is a scanning electron microscopy of a Fisteria species uh, actually feeding. This is part of their 2002 work uh, uh, demonstrating micropredation. Uh, this is a fish uh, healthy epidermis. This is the uh, dinospore itself actually uh, set down in terms of a uh, peduncle uh, on the fish skin itself and feeding uh, on, on the fish. Uh, essentially, the debate uh, continues in terms of the role of toxins in Fisteria. There have been no cases of seafood-borne illness uh, associated with this. Uh, the human health effects uh, have occurred in various laboratories, especially in East Coast uh, universities, where some researchers were working in close proximity to some high concentrations of these uh, microorganisms. Some of these impacts were neurotoxic, uh, skin sensitizations. Uh, anglers, water skiers, and fish kill monitors uh, have complained of skin lesions, headaches, and lightheadedness, and uh, short-term memory loss. Uh, avoidance of Fisteria-impacted uh, waters, and typically Fisteria-impacted waters are associated with fish kills, uh, is uh, uh, recommended, as is just uh, using the water uh, as a recreational resource uh, when Fisteria are in bloom. What this does, uh, hopefully, is give you, uh, again, a, a fairly broad-based uh, but introductory uh, review of marine toxins uh, in food. Uh, the idea in terms of presenting a safe food supply 
What we've tried to do here is uh, demonstrate that the natural ecological biochemistry, the principles of bioaccumulation, and the impacts on higher per predating species, including us, uh, can be significant and severe. Until next time, we'll see you later. Thanks much.